there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello, friends. Welcome back to The Ripple Effect. On this week's podcast, we, of course, will be diving into Liverpool Seven, Manchester United nil. The ripple effects of that game. Some people are getting burnt reputations. Some people are getting average nicknames. Will Brazier is my guest this week. He is a Birmingham City fan. That's very important because we're going to be mapping out the next 15 years of Jude Bellingham's career. It's going to have loads of ripple effects, of course, at international level, at domestic and European level. And of course, for Will Brazier's beloved Birmingham City. You'll get to meet Jim and Jeff as well. Doesn't make sense now, but it will soon enough. This is The Ripple Effect. If you are new to the podcast, make sure you check out all the other podcasts. They're all well good. Make sure you follow and give us a five-star rating as well. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Right then, people, we are back. The Ripple Effect is back, and it's very specific guest that we have will brazier in the house but not in his own house he's at spencer's house how are you will yeah very well thank you mate yeah this is actually the this is spencer's house it's uh it's just a very small house and it's just this uh kitchen and that's it so he's let me in um and i thought i'd use the property good. today so it's very good so if you obviously are listening to this and you'd like to watch it you can do so on spotify and just another bit of admin as well first of all La Remontada, no, La Remontada, sorry, I nearly said it wrong there. That is the comeback. That is the game between Barcelona and PSG, which finished 6-1. Will, do you remember that game? Oh, yeah, do I? <laughs> yeah, well done. Well saved. Well, we've done a whole podcast on it because it changed European football forever. Now, you will be listening to this and it will probably, if it is the 8th of March, congratulations, well done. It is the anniversary, six years on from that game. We did a podcast on it and I chatted to PSG Talk and to the Barcelona podcast to sort of dive into the ramifications of it all. So it's a really good podcast. We're really proud of it. It's a great watch as well if you want to. So that is on the Ripple Effect feed right now. So if you've missed that somehow, then make sure you go give that a listen. And uh, looking forward to the next sort of evergreen podcast, we're always going to do a topical one and an evergreen one. The next evergreen one is going to be with Baz from Toffee TV talking about Everton and seven years of Mashiri and the numerous managers, 11, I think, at the last count. So we're going to have a, a look into that and what happened to all of those managers. It's going to be a real in-depth ripple effect uh, later on this week. So if you are not following yet, please do consider following the ripple effect and giving us a five-star rating just to keep our chart position high because it's always yummy to click on that chart and see us up there. Thank you to everyone who has done, and let's dive into this then, Will. I know you wanted to kick off with a personal ripple effect that has brought you here today. Uh, what is it? Yeah, well, I don't think, I don't think I'd be sat in this chair. I don't think I'd have worked with Spence. I don't think I'd still be presenting or doing what I am in my career if it wasn't for you, Jim. Um, uh, people can take that in different ways, but there is a personal story of uh, you know, lockdown, everyone was streaming, you were streaming, I, I spent far too much on streaming for, for my ability, a lot of just not the microphone, I can't even stream, 
Um, one <laughs> night, did a stream, came off, fun, fantastic. Sort of jumped on to my PlayStation setup where I sort of carried on um, as normal. Jumped into the party chat. My mates were playing. Streaming stopped. Just jumping in with you know, you know, you, you. I'm sure you have it with your guys. You're chatting all sorts of nonsense. And uh, sure. about 20 minutes into that, I get a call from James Allcott about 20 past 10. At night, something must be up. Something must be awry. Hope James is okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you said, uh, you do know you're actually still streaming well. And I said, am I? I clicked on. There was about 20 people watching. Um, turned it straight off. And then some people had clipped out what I'd said. Uh, nothing too bad. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, I was just talking about which uh, yeah. way I wiped my bum and other people did. So um, if it wasn't for you, Jim, I don't know if I'd still be here. So thank you very much. <laughs> I'm like, well, uh, yeah, I think the important thing is to not keep bringing it up. <laughs> you seem to keep bringing it up well uh but no look, hey no, I've got to be i love you i love the way you talk about football and i think we're going to really enjoy ourselves here in particular i wanted you on will because we're going to map out the next 15 years of jude bellingham's life and that is exciting but before that it was an outrageous <laughs> bizarre intense weekend of football and we've asked you on twitter as ever and make sure you follow me on twitter at james alcott a double double t and you can get your ripple effects into the podcast itself and there were numerous uh so first of all i think we have to start with <laughs> with crystal palace nil everton what no <laughs> with uh, man united getting done slapped crushed whatever you want to say seven nil seven nil has that ever happened in your in your life? You know, obviously, like say Sunday League, seven nil can occur sometimes. Is that ever? Like, have you ever had to front that up? Yeah, but, but there was a season I actually had to go in goal. Obviously, you've seen me play football, Jim. So if I can get in a team, it's obviously fantastic. So one year I went in goal, and uh, we were playing away in Malvern. We were losing about seven nil, and this corner came in, hit someone on the ass, went in. Um, and our manager we was on the sidelines, absolutely irate and. Uh, we just all burst out laughing, even though we were seven nil down, which in turn made him more irate. And uh, I think that's the best way to deal with it—just laughing. Yeah, absolutely. That's nice. So hopefully, I'm sure Eric Ten Hag's uh, going to be doing that this uh, today. Although the last time we lost to Brentford, he made him sort of run the the 13k that they'd sort of been undone by by Brentford. I think the, the day before. So who knows what's happened today? I'm sure there'll be some kind of story leaked out. One thing right off the bat, this is coming from me, and then we'll get into the ripples that you guys have put forward. Eric Seven Hag has been born. I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter or anywhere else. Uh, that is a, certainly a ripple effect from yesterday. I think uh, Eric Ten Hag probably sort of briefly had a, a, a sort of a very vague moment of thought. Of, oh, my name is actually the number 10. Or like, or maybe there's been the old headline where it's been like 10 out of 10 for Ten Hag, again, which is weak. And now he's stuck with a new nickname that is average at best for me. That's that's a horrible ripple effect. From, you know, a lot of people will be feeling a lot, but the fact that he's going to be called Eric Seven Hag by Liverpool fans for the rest of his days, I think is is tough to swallow in the fact that it's not even good. Because I saw a comment on one of my videos, and they were saying the guy said, "I, uh, you know, the old I'd eight with Arsenal. It was the I'd eight to be an Arsenal fan." Yeah. Right. This guy wrote a comment. I'd seven nil. <laughs> I'd seven nil a Man United fan. Nice. Now that's rubbish, but it's so rubbish it's good. Do yeah. you know what I mean? With this nickname, Eric Seven Hag, it's just 
It's so average. It's so average. It's not good. It's not bad enough to be good. Do you know what I mean? That feels like a a tough ripple effect for Eric Ten Hag to deal with. I think they can almost compound the misery as well because you know when it gets to high scoring games on like the Vidi printer. So if it's Eric Seven Hag and they put the brackets round the seven as well, just to really sort of add insult to injury just by saying how bad it is. Just put the brackets around it and then he really knows it's seven, seven stinking goals. <laughs> seven stinking goals indeed. Josh Rogers said, Man United going in for Nunez and Gakpo, missing them both to Liverpool and then the two players ending up scoring four goals against them. That's another thing that is a sort of ripple effect of life as well when you let a player go or or you sort of just miss out on certain players and they come back to haunt you. We're sort of, I'm going through a difficult spell at the moment with QPR where there's a player called Chris Martin. Now, we're going through a difficult spell regardless, but we've got, there's a player called Chris Martin who used to play for Derby, used to play for... We got him from Bristol City. He's been around the block. And I don't know if you've ever had this, especially as a Birmingham City fan. There's often players that you just really don't like who play you year after year in the same league as you year after year. And Chris Martin's kind of one of those. He's the sort of Grant Holt, the Jeff Horsfield of his time, to put it in Birmingham terms. And uh, we've got him now. And I don't know how to feel. Do you know what I mean? Oh, really? And, and I guess the, with Josh Rogers is a little bit different. Uh, it talks of Nunes and Gakpo. For them to lose both those players, in terms of what could have been, I mean, all of already that's 3-0. Which is more acceptable than than yeah. the seven nil, isn't it? Are you? Uh, is it? I mean, is it one where you can't really use that as a ripple effect, or or really should Man United have gone and got Nunes and Gakpo? They were linked with Gakpo heavily, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I think the one that we always spoke about it ties in today, like we, when we were doing the other show, it was like Liverpool and and Jude Bellingham, and but them like spending the money poorly on Nunes with that hundred million pounds because we've always said like the midfield was such a big one. For them during the summer and they didn't strengthen it and obviously up until yesterday it was such a big talking point and it, and it still is going forward but then them spending 100 million pounds on Nunes but I just I could never see Manchester United really in for Nunes and then obviously that's Rashford and well when you when you stood there after a 7-0 defeat and you look at your striking options without Vegas then it really does feel a bit of a kick in the teeth but yeah yeah I Gakpo was the one and coming in a little bit cheaper and even like Liverpool getting him just sort of came they just did their business really quietly didn't they it was like Danny Ings business just done done out the way yeah. and, and he's there it's amazing how that so there's certain what I'm realizing doing this podcast as well is there there are sort of subtle uh ghost pepper ripple effects and then there's like it's like I don't know just huge compounding massive instant ripple effects and the the way that people are looking at man united players like Val Veghorst literally before 4:30 was been, what a signing what a sign i remember doing the podcast last week people going oh if we you know if we hadn't spent too much money on other bad players we wouldn't have got Val Veghorst and we, you know and now we've won and like they were everyone was flying and then one game, 90 minutes, and in particular, 45 minutes. It's amazing how you can change your mind on, on a player. And that whole Man United squad and the Liverpool squad, all of a sudden, Liverpool squad, they're amazing. <laughs> they're still miles behind Man United. In terms of results, Jose had this one. This is great. So Man United beat Barcelona 2-1. The ripple effect of that and Liverpool losing 5-2 to Real Madrid was that Liverpool beat... Man United 7-0 and Real Madrid lose to Barcelona 1-0. So they were able to turn it around, both of those guys as well. But as we both know, one fixture, one result 
doesn't it's not enough it's not enough to change it all but it can ruin everything because man united there's some man united players there that are now sort of their stock has really really dropped really really quickly which i think is a little bit unfair but would you say that there's a there's a scoreline that once you go past a certain scoreline that then then that's when reputations get burnt yeah, there is, but I I feel with this 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 could almost be another ripple effect where like I feel like this is from like the last ten years of guff at Manchester United. They're still like they've been doing so well recently, and, and the mentality is changing. That this might be the ripple. This might be the last sort of line in the sand of like seven nil is stinking, and hopefully that never happens again. But I really feel like for Eric Ten Hag, like this will be a line in the sand. I was going to compare him to Raf. Ralph Hasenhutl with though, but he had two nil nine nine nil losses, so you can't really do that. But I just do feel that this is. This so you think this is more like the the final tremor? Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Love that. Well done, Jim. Um, I think that's. I think this is it going forward. <laughs> and I, I, it was just weird, wasn't it? I just didn't expect it. As, it came out of absolute. If, if someone had said seven nil Liverpool yesterday. <laughs> I'd have got the wet fish, which I carry around with me, and slapped him around the face and said, "Good God, man, are you okay?" Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, it's good. I needed it. I really needed it because, yeah, like, like my my mate was saying. So my mate's a Stoke City fan. He was saying, "God, we're God, we're awful." Like, and I'm like, "God, we're awful." Like, QPR are bad. Is that the Stoke City fan whose brother I am? Yes. Yeah, he looks just like you. Yeah, he looks just like you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I. But then they all of a sudden they beat Sunderland five one at the weekend, and it made me think. Okay, look, you just need and QPR lost again. You just need one result. I just need something to hang on to. And Liverpool have been sort of banging at the door, and it's not really like come to be. And Man United have like look, are looking really good, but these results can happen and it can change everything. And that is what I am living for. Let's keep moving forward because that's all we can do. Right, Logan says this. And did you know, well, did you know that Spain's World Cup 2010 celebrations helped Arsenal's current title charge? I didn't, but... I Very clever that. here, Logan, because he said, he made clear, he said title charge, not title win. Doesn't want to get himself in trouble. Josh Rogers, who was in the last tweet, replied, explain, one word, simple. Logan went on to say in a, in a series of tweets... During the celebrations of the World Cup win, Barcelona duo PK and Puyol shove Fabregas in front of a camera and drape him in a Barcelona shirt and flag after rumours he'd be returning to the club, pretty much fully turning his head and convincing him to push for a move to Barcelona. And push he does. For the next year, he refuses to enter new contract negotiations and even threatens to help Barca pay his transfer fee. After a year or so, Fabregas gets his move rather late in the window, with only a couple of weeks left once the season has already started. Thus, without his captain and talismanic midfielder a week or so later, Arsene Wenger heads to Old Trafford, giving debuts to three youngsters with a very thin squad. The result is famous. A young, naive and frankly woeful Arsenal team. A battered 8-2. From there, it's panic stations for Wenger, who on deadline day, merely hours later changes his plans to reinvest the Fabregas money. He goes for experience, investing the panic buys of Murtasaka, Miyaki, or Miyachi, who I can't even remember, could even be a typo, and certain Arsenal manager to be Mikel Arteta. 
after a year or so of working together, Arteta is handed the Arsenal captaincy and is basically Wenger's second in command. With the two of them already discussing the midfield of becoming a coach once he retires. The rest you can probably work out from there. And here we are. <laughs> now, after back-to-back late victories. How you feel about Arsenal and Man City and the title race? Is it, you know, you've been around the game a long time. Is it there? Is it theirs? I, yeah, I always look at these things from like, how would I, I do want Arsenal to win the league just to sort of break that Manchester City. Yeah, I know Arsenal aren't new winners, but obviously they haven't won it in so long. So I want it from that sort of side of things. I don't know why, I just want it to happen. But there's just this nagging doubt of me. I was just chatting to a friend about it of like, Five points, like you mentioned it with this Liverpool team. Now they're amazing. Last week they were okay. Manchester United are amazing. If Manchester City, look at the last time when Manchester City went to Arsenal, they got the victory. The, the narrative changed around that. So I just think there's so much football to be played. The good thing with Arsenal is that they're changed like 2 0 down against Bournemouth. I know it was Bournemouth, but they, the Emirates is a very positive space, even though when they're getting in them difficult situations, they are getting behind the team. But as the pressure ramps up, even when they were going for it against was it when they, when it, against Leicester City, like near the end of that Premier League, it was so tense. Like, yeah. Imagine how tense it will be at the Emirates. Yeah. So if they can just navigate those games, which they have done so far, but I just can't imagine what it's going to be like in the Emirates in these closing games if it's like a nil-nil and they need to score. So if they can get a draw against Manchester City, definitely Arsenal's. If, if they lose, then... Oh. But Manchester City just aren't. It does feel like the, the, the Champions League is the, the more prominent one for them. But yeah, I, yeah, I do want Arsenal. I think it's Arsenal's. Let's just go Arsenal. Okay, he's gone with Arsenal. I'll tell you, what, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts and we'll give you some ripple effects from that momentous victory against Bournemouth after this. So sticking with Arsenal, uh, it was another tense victory for them against a Bournemouth side who sort of had a go. They scored a couple of goals on the break, but <laughs> you know me, you know I love an average position. They were literally just <laughs> just hanging on for dear life in their own half for the whole of the game. And I think you make a really good point. Is like I think this is a sort of psychological thing more than anything else now. And I think I said it on a video recently. There's there's two things here. There's like the the youth and the inexperience of of winning a title. Now you've got Zinchenko in there, and I think he's enjoying that role of of being a leader for them. But you've also got you've also got what Arteta has instilled in them, which is an element of belief, and also like the I always think that when you start winning these games late, you sort that really has a huge effect on the next time you're in that position and you're a little bit calmer, you're a little bit braver, you're a little bit more composed. And I think what we're seeing here, despite the celebrations being like pretty hectic and understandably so, because they can't believe that they're there. I do think that they do keep leaning into the way that they play, which is a a way that is really embedded in them now. The sensible call is always Man City, I think, with this, that they will... Get over the line, they'll get over the line. But Arsenal just keep hanging in there. I mean, and and it, these little things keep happening time and again, like the Jorginho signing and and how that makes a difference to sort of certain games. Maybe it's just because I'm doing this podcast now, but and it's kind of revitalising like the romance in me. But this Enketia one as well, Connor says, 
And Ketia injury being the only reason Reese Nelson was even on the bench to do what he did. So that doesn't even... He's not even on the bench if Nketiah is supposedly back in the side and and wasn't uh, injured instead. When it comes to Reese Nelson, this goal could be huge for him actually as well because, and I bet everyone's think everyone will think of one now. So Reese Nelson's out of contract in June. His agent, when that goal goes in, his agent is just like falls to his knees and just screams to the heavens, twenty percent. Because do you think? Um, <laughs> Do you think scoring that goal will get him a new contract? Do you think he's just done uh, an inketia? Uh, yeah, we well, should do. I just I, one of the nice things which seems really obvious about some of these modern managers is like they're actually coaching the players. Like I feel like for a, a decade or so, obviously with so much money coming into the game, you'd have six games of a player be like, "He's a load of rubbish. Let's sell him. Let's get the next one in." Whereas, like you see with Eddie Howe, Arteta, especially Pep and Klopp, like they're turning these like. Jordan Henderson is the prime example of this. You've got players, they're obviously very good. Sometimes form, mental stuff isn't working and they can change that. And I think, yeah, Reese Nelson's a prime example of that. Like these players aren't awful. He's at Arsenal for a reason. And if you can coach them and make them better and then you get moments like that, just let's just work with what we've got. We don't need to be spending silly amounts on, like Arsenal's academy is absolutely unreal. So I hope Reese Nelson gets a statue in 10 years' time and that would be the biggest ripple effect of them all. That would be amazing, amazing it? That would be, that would really um, dilute the value of having a statue. That would be the ripple effect of that if Reese Nelson does get one. Because <laughs> that's like... What about if he goes to win on the Ballon d'Or though, no? Well, I mean, I think we need more. I think that's a good point. I think I thought you were saying literally just that that's one goal against. <laughs> just that one against four of them. Um, yeah, obviously Arsenal keep moving forward. I think that's a great point though, as well. Is that I'm hearing this. I, I heard people talking about Man United after that seven 0 and going. They're actually contradicting themselves because they were they were going. That's why we need the Qatari money. That's why we need to get rid of the debt because <laughs> these players can't play for us again when these kind of things happen. And then in the same breath. He then says, uh, naming no names, he then says that you, well, look, the thing to remember here is we can't get rid of all these players, you know, Luke Shaw, Rashford, Bruno Fernandes, Casemiro, Varane, he lists basically the whole team, he's got, you know, we've got to, we're going to have to move on from this and develop them. That is the trip, like, these are, these are human beings, and... They, what makes it great if Arsenal win the league is, of course, they've spent a bit of money and you do have to spend money. But to buy young players and to clearly develop them, I think is something to like, I think you have to applaud it a little bit. So Reese Nelson gets the statue after scoring the goal. And OK, yes, this might be the start of something great. But realistically, this is someone who, as Connor's just explained, wasn't even on the bench when you know, if Nketiah had been fit. So do you think him scoring and staying at Arsenal is better for his career? Or do you think it would be better if he moved on? Uh, Fabrizio said that he wants to stay, but his contract's up at the end of the... Uh, his contract's up in June. Do you think... What do you think's best for him as a player? Um, well, uh, the big thing is as well, they'll be going back into Europe next year as well, won't they? So Champions League football. So there's going to be so many more games played I think more of an opportunity maybe to get involved as well as that he knows he's not going to oh, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see Arsenal's transfer policy isn't it this summer they've definitely got Champions League football 
will they be Premier League winners? And then the sort of player and cal- the calibre of player that they can attract after that is going to be very interesting because they've sort of slingshot themselves into this position. All we've been talking about is Man City, Liverpool, Man City, Liverpool, a little bit of Man United, maybe a little bit of Tottenham. And all, all of a sudden now it's Arsenal up there and that they could go after the biggest and best. Net. Like, we've, well, I know we're going to go on to talk about him, but Arsenal c- could potentially be in the running for a Jude Bellingham signing. I know their finances won't work, but they could be in that conversation now. So that's the big telling one. Reese Nelson, yeah, have a contract. Here's one for you. <laughs> I get, do you know what? The thing that they've done quite well is, or they, well, the thing that they need to continue to do well is, allow the players to feel like they're evolving and growing. And so for Reese Nelson, who has been, mm. he's a bit, you know, he's in that sort of same room as Maitland and Niles, for example. Those players that I think yeah. if you, or Awobi, once you leave, it's probably not going to be much better, but you'll get more minutes. And I guess it's tough, isn't it, for those kind of players? Because you either have to back yourself and suggest that you're, you are good enough. I think... I think for him, if he really is that good, I think he needs to move on. Because even in the Champions League, I think he's going to struggle now. And I just don't think he's ever truly been anywhere near being a starter. And in a season where, look, you can have a little bit part to, to win this one. I think he is. I think he's good. But I don't think he's ever going to truly get that chance, especially as a wide player when you've got Saka, you've got Trossard now, you've got Martinelli, you've got, you know... Um, Emil Smith-Rowe as well, who's playing ahead of him as well. I think that is my fear for Reese Nelson is that he'll kind of secure the bag somewhat. But that's, you know, that's not living right now. He needs to, I think he still needs to move on. So Reese, if you're listening, don't stay. Move on and enjoy yourself. Play, play football, for God's sake. Right, here we go, Will. The reason you're here. The reason you are Thank God. here. So Chelsea play Borussia Dortmund. In the round of 16, I'm wearing yellow specifically to get behind the Dortmund uh, because I like Jude in particular. And I quite like Royce as well because he just stuck around, didn't he, Royce? Didn't have to. When it comes to Jude Bellingham, I thought it'd be great to have you on as a Birmingham City fan to kind of paint the picture of, of who he was and dive into sort of the ripple effects, the casualties and what's going to occur when it comes to his career because certainly the next move is huge for him and we'll dive into that but he's so young (laughs) there's two moves after that isn't there like you know the guy's he's 19 he made his first team debut aged 16 years 38 days in the EFL Cup against Portsmouth Um, he made his league debut in the second half against Swansea in a 3-0 defeat and in 15 years' time, he will be 34. Now, that's a loose timing in terms of our predicting of the rest of his life, which does feel um, like a lot of pressure for Jude, but I think he can handle it. Well, you, well, um, you know Jude be- better than I do. Who is the, um, who is the teenager behind, the, uh, behind the, the name Jude Bellingham? I, I was going to say man, but I, I can't yet because he's still a teenager. Um, what, yeah, well, How do you feel about Jude Bellingham? What's he like? I just think ever since he's come into the first team, he's been just he's like an elder statesman. Like all these interviews always go viral. One, maybe people poking fun at the Birmingham accent, which, you know, I will find you and I will kill you. Um, but I just think he's just so mature and that, that comes from his upbringing. And then that bleeds into the decisions he's made in his career because obviously when he broke in in the, the summer of 2019, what a summer that was, long, long summer nights. 
Um, he was sort of playing amazingly and then being linked with everyone. And Manchester United were the, the forerunners for that. You know, I think Fergie toured him around the, the training ground and they had, they had the pick of Europe and he went to Dortmund. And I think that decision just shows, and that might tie into the next one as well, just how, how mature he is and how much of a great setup he's got around him. Yeah, I think so. This is the thing we're, we're going to get on to the next move because the next move affects the move after that, obviously, or maybe not. I guess we'll, we'll you know. And I, I, you've had a thing. <laughs> you messaged me earlier. Go have a think about what his next moves are, and, he get, and you went. I think about that every day, Jim. <laughs> so, so we're ready. We're prepared. I've got a general gut feeling on where he'll go, and you can state a case for every single team. He's had an amazing start to his career. Like when I think when you forget and then you're surprised again by someone's age, time and again, I think that's 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 something that's so rare. Like nine, he's nineteen, right? So first of all, actually, do you think Jude Bellingham will become one of the all-time great midfielders? Yeah, one one thousand percent. I think you know. I've, I did a video on you know one of my many YouTube runs, Jim, which you, you've you've seen and uh, seen the private videos. I did a video with Statman Dave saying he's going to win a Ballon d'Or in 2024. Now, if he does, that video will be republished and it'll be back out in the public domain. But when I sort of did that, I was obviously a bit tongue in cheek and everything. But you look at that World Cup performance, and if England would have had a run from the quarterfinal, and if we would have got to the final, one he'd have been a very prominent part of that. And even just the catalogue of work that he did in those opening games, scoring against the Ran, that performance against Wales um, and and France as well, he was such a big part of that. And not, you know, there, were, there was even talk before the World Cup about him not being in the, in Gareth's eleven by some people. But I think it, for going forward now, it's clear it's Rice and Bellingham. And in terms of a World Cup, he just needs the accolades now. So I think that's what's prominent with this next move, isn't it? Is it going to be Madrid? Is it going to be Liverpool or Manchester City? Wherever he goes, he's going to win trophies. And in terms of getting these honours, especially the personal ones, you do need those accolades. So I think he's going to win trophies. And I think, yeah, definitely that will lead to, to th- those personal accolades as well. So, OK, with that in mind, so because look, if he wants to have a huge impact, we think he can. And he obviously has the time. We're going to have a look, a look at the sort of next 15 years. You're then thinking about who are the greats. The greats are Xavi. The greats are Modric, Iniesta, Zidane. If we kind of zone in on, say, someone like Modric, who is 37, is at Real Madrid, one of the clubs that Bellingham is linked with. He won 22 major trophies at Real Madrid, five Champions Leagues, three La Ligas a Copa del Rey and five uh, club World Cups. Uh, he's obviously been, um, he's won the Ballon d'Or in 2018, seven-time Croatia Player of the Year and uh, carried his team to a World Cup final. So with it, that in mind, and uh, what I do believe is more, more so and more so, individuals are happy being individuals, even in a team sport like football. And they want to, they want to be the best. They want to be known as the best. They want to get everything out of their career as well. And I think, Again, we'll dive into the character of Jude Bellingham because it, it obviously it is huge speculation um, based on those interviews and, and what we've been able to see and, and, and feel, I guess, and, and you in particular a little bit more. But for him to be in that conversation, because those are the conversations now, he needs to tick all these boxes and he needs to do well at international level as well. So we are going to... Have a look at that next move, the possible next move after that. The competition in terms of other players is one player that scouted football have uh, let me know could be his rival 
for the next 15 years. And we're going to put forward the ripple effects of Jude Bellingham, who is going to be in our, hopefully in our minds and hearts and football pitches for the next 15 years, if not more. And I have a ripple effect that has never been done before, but Jude could do it. So we are going to get into all of that after this. So as we always like to do on the ripple effect, there's ripples before, there's ripples during and there's ripples after. And just to say, when it comes to the, sort of his time at Birmingham, which certainly left an effect on the club as they retired his shirt, which Will will have to justify until he wins that Ballon d'Or, and then he will he will go on a an irate rant, and understandably so. But there are certain moments in time that actually do affect what happens with Jude Bellingham's career. So things like even like a little one in terms of making his league debut in the second half against Swansea, they were three nil down. And if Birmingham aren't, uh, weren't losing, you know, would he be introduced into that game? And Birmingham finished 20th that season. Thank goodness. Because if Birmingham have been challenging for the title, does that postpone or tweak Bellingham's pathway? You know, if you're going up, do you stay with him? Does he want to stay? If they go up to the Premier League, does he stay with Birmingham and, and carry on his development there? Could have been so different, Will. I think in terms of league position, uh, I see where you're going with the sort of promotion chat, but I don't think we've had a top half finish in seven years. Um, we've definitely not been in the playoffs since 2012, 13. So, I mean, I, I can, if we get 11th, I'll, I will get the open top bus parade going around the town centre. So let's rule that one out. So he was probably always going to play in terms of league okay. position. Um, and then even in, just in terms of like the structure at the club at the time, Pep Pe- Collette had come in. So he was Gary Monk's assistant. Uh, Gary Monk had left under sort of uh, weird circumstances. I think I'm getting my timelines right. Pep stayed. And then he was sort of, and, and Jude's um, thanked him like, since he's gone on to have his amazing career about Pep giving him it's quite good to say Pep because people think was Guardiola at Birmingham City no he wasn't we had Pep Collette um, no. <laughs> to give him the uh, to give him the game time and get him on the pitch you mentioned the Swansea game and then obviously the first one, real one when he came to prominence was that Stoke game and, and scoring the, the deflected goal and then and then backing that up a week later but again scoring against Charlton and it was just it's sort of been a little bit on, on my radar because I've had nothing to shout about for so long. So if you get this bright spark, especially with the academy, with any club, if you've got a good academy and players coming through, that's great to see. Um, and I think he'd played in an under-17s tournament for England. So he was already sort of playing above his age groups. And he, he captained the side maybe in this friendly tournament, one player of the tournament. There was a bit of buzz around that. So that was great. And then obviously to get him in the side and playing, I think also, it t- like I was saying, with the structure of the club, it ties around that because... I think that they, you know, if, if they could smell a bit of, of money that could be made, not to the scale that it has done, and, and we're going to get benefits when he moves from Dortmund as well, that, that met, I don't want to say maybe it was rushed a little bit more that he got in the first team because Jude's ability was there to be seen, but I think that obviously did help it as well. I, I've heard stuff about Pep, uh, Pep Collette. And isn't it, did he, did he used to change the team a lot? Because, you know, we have a lot, there's a lot of talk about Pep Roulette. Mm. But they could. Was there ever Pep Collette Roulette? Well, there there was. 
lovely. Uh, there was always. Don't worry, don't worry. I've said, I've said the joke. That's all I needed. Um, so <laughs> I've got the joke out there. It's fine. So because I, I heard him say that for the players there, you will remember this. He said that you will remember this season forever because it's the season that you played with Jude Bellingham. Like so, he he believed as well. Yeah, so I think aged beautifully. Yeah, I, well, with that as well, there was always. This is definitely not to do with Jude Bellingham, but just in a Birmingham standpoint, there was always because our ownership's so strange, to put it bluntly. There was always talk that the, the uh, then oh, I don't know what his role was. He was in charge, the middleman between them and the owners, was sort of on the on the training pitch, wearing uh, you know he put his office next to the training ground, and he was sort of maybe interfering with team selection. But I think uh, he didn't need to be a a genius to know that Jude Bellingham should be playing in first team football even at that age. Absolutely. And I think this, what's really interesting here is in terms of that move. So, of course, he moves to Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Man United were actually uh, initial favourites for this. And I remember, I remember that sort of being all over Sky Sports News and people thought that that was going to happen. If that does happen, again, this is very, very different. You know, the, all the talking around where's he going to go and, and we know it's going to be a, a huge club and it's going to be for a lot of money but if he goes to Man United there could have been so many different viewpoints and, and ripple effects from that the likes of you know Paul Pogba does he go earlier do you get more you know are you able to get some cash for him uh, does he actually or does he stay and you've got someone who can do his running as well like could, could he have been far more sort of impactful in terms of his time at Man United would you have had that leadership even as an 18 year old 17 year old we've seen it with Borussia Dortmund and Man City in the Champions League last year or two years ago I think it is now and how he's just he's sort of dripping in captain like he is just such a, a leader you can see it there and do Man United you know what are Man United looking like with a midfield of you know, Fred, if you need him, Sabitza, Casemiro and Jude Bellingham. 7-0 doesn't happen. I'll tell you that now, Will. Are Man United fans feeling different about the Glazers? If it, things are going better, are the Glazers looking to sell? Or are they going to stick around a little bit longer? Is it, a, sort of, is it a, a, a charming handshake with the fans and the Glazers? Do they bid farewell to the Glazers they sell them? It could have been so, so different. But what, what he does do, I think it is a sign of who he is is that Bellingham turns down Man United, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich and Chelsea, all, of course, you know, teams that are within, well, apart from Bayern Munich, of course, oh, sorry, and Real Madrid, but a couple of British teams there, English teams there, that you could have a two-hour drive and you could get back home. But instead, he goes to Borussia Dortmund and, and, you know, a new country, a different language. That says a lot about kind of who he is. And in terms of his development, he seems to have... I have a great advice from his dad, who I think was a, a really good striker at a non-league level. But also, he seems to have a sort of strong mind that we've seen with Jane Sancho maybe led the way with this, but Jude Bellingham was brave enough to do it. Do you think he is brave enough to stay at Dortmund for another few years? Because he does have those years to play with. Yeah, well, I think you mentioned the Sancho thing because I think that was almost like the blueprint for him making that move as well because they can go, we've had this top English talent and look what we've done with him and obviously Sancho would have spoke so highly about it. So I think that definitely helped the move. In terms of the captain ability, We've, I mean, it ties into everything, even like those post-match interviews and even like this sort of, I don't know, just the way he plays as well. Like he, there was there was a moment in that season we had him, I think we were away at Middlesbrough, Ball was going out by the corner flag. It was a lost cause. You know, when the player comes out of shot to sort of come in, win the ball, tackle it, 
put across and we scored. It's just those sort of things that you can just really get on board with as a as a fan. In ter- I'd love him to stay at Dortmund. I just, I, I my main one. Would the, you? Yeah, I, yeah. I just, it's just, it's just quite. There's something, and I've not been able to experience it, but there feels just something quite romantic about Dortmund. About in terms of the way football's gone, just over, you know, especially like the last two to three years now, just everything just around it sort of smells a bit rotten. There's Dortmund still feels a bit of a beacon of light, and especially Jude playing there and the way he is, just it feels like a match made in heaven. Um, I think he can have an impact on a top team like in Madrid, City, and Liverpool, so he won't stay at Dortmund. But it, I wouldn't it, it, actually. It would shock me if he did stay, just because the amounts of money that are going to be thrown at him, and we do have twenty percent uh, of profit percentage of profit on. So I would like that, so we don't go out of business. <laughs> Get it now. So the contract's up in twenty, the end of twenty four twenty five season. So not next season, the season after. But as Dortmund often do. They'll look to try and get as much money as possible. So the options include, in terms of signing this summer, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Queen's Park Rangers, Man City and PSG. So what I think when we look at the, the runners and riders, first of all, Chelsea, there's been reports that he'd said no to Chelsea, but uh, that's then been sort of um, put to bed. That apparently that wasn't the case. I'm going to take Chelsea out of it because I think if you spend, and I looked on transfer market and it said that Bellingham's worth 110 million pounds. And let's say that generally, I would say generally transfer market is kind of, uh, you just doing the sums for 20%. <laughs> generally those sums are actually quite sensible. So if you're going to cost that much and you've got someone like Conor Gallagher, if you believe in Conor Gallagher and what he can do, You've still got Kovacic and you've just signed Enzo Fernandez with a hundred million odd. But I think it then comes down to his his understanding of his own development. And I think it comes down to what motivates him. And if when we're talking about impact, does he want to have does he want to have impact now at twenty, or does he want to have impact at twenty six? But if he goes to Man City, it's kind of, it's not about the romance, is it? It's about Pep and it's about winning trophies. Liverpool, Liverpool, there's the links with, I think, his style of play and Gerrard. The fact that he sees Gerrard as a bit of an idol of his. I personally see a lot of the similar characteristics of him and Gerrard. And in terms of the style of play of Liverpool that makes that's the most exciting watch i would say is liverpool because he goes there if you look at his heat map over the season it looks like a pimply 15 year old it's very red and there's there's splodges all over the place and that would fit pretty well with liverpool and who he is which is like a box to box midfielder you know and there's not often that many teams that provide the sort of the room and the style of play to have box-to-box midfielders uh, in your side. Real Madrid are quite possibly that exception with Modric, who we're talking about, and the idea that he could come in and possibly go and replace Modric, even maybe have a year alongside him. He can do his running for him, even though Modric doesn't need that. 
and and kind of go from there. Which of these clubs do you think, if you were Jude Bellingham, would you go to? Uh, I, I, I feel like I've learned a lot there, Jim. I, I'll go through it from my side. If, if he goes to PSG or Chelsea, I think I'll seriously look at my Jude, ben, Jude Bellingham fan membership card because um, Chelsea just feels like when he was linked to Manchester United back in the day, like there's an absolute mess in there. The, the, the last thing Chelsea need to be doing at the moment is signing any more players. So let's rule that one out. I don't think he'll do PSG. Um, yeah, then it comes down to those top three. I think the most worrying thing for the rest of the league is if Manchester City don't win the Premier League and or the Champions League. If they come away with nothing and then they're looking at what they've got and maybe the sort of feeling that they need to make a signing and need to make a splash and maybe even in that midfield area, you know, you've got an ageing, getting older Kevin De Bruyne, ageing sounds like he can't kick a ball, but there is the sort of need to just freshen up that midfield a bit. And and with Liverpool, we've spoke about it so much. With them, technically, does it come down to sort of, have they got the money where the ownership have sort of said that they're, they're looking for investment? Is that, are they going to be in or out? So even there, there's doubt. And then with Real Madrid, I just that's my prime move as a Jude Bellingham number one fan member. I think I just want him to go there to carry. There's just something I, I don't know what it is. If it's romantic or just nice, or I've played too much Alex Hunter the journey on FIFA. I just want him to sort of stay abroad. And there is definitely pressure and limelight in Madrid, and like we've seen that. You know, look at how Gareth Bale was treated, and maybe he could have done things differently. Maybe he couldn't have. But with Jude Bellingham, I wouldn't be worried about how he's going to sort of. In, ingratiate himself with Spanish life and Madrid life so there's not that worry um, I just think an English player playing for a club like that and potentially even maybe one day captain in Real Madrid that's something I can't think of in my lifetime unless Beckham captain them but um, I just yeah just something so like Manaman yeah but I know what you mean yeah don't be comparing Manaman to Bellingham, please, James. I'll, I'll, I'll... <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So my prediction is that he will go to Real Madrid. The reason he will go to Real Madrid is that I think you're right, the sort of spotlight and the ripple effect of him going to Real Madrid could be the start of a burgeoning um, golf career. I could see him absolutely loving golf. He's got that Michael Jordan vibe to him. <laughs> Bale can sort of have a quick word with him. Um, I don't know if they've got the same sponsors, but if that was the case, they could go down that road. But I, I think the thing with Real Madrid is, first of all, how many times does Real Madrid come around? And I think that allure does still just about exist. I think with the timing of his career in terms of his age, if, if it doesn't work at Real Madrid, you can go to the layer below Real Madrid is still, can still be the big clubs in the Premier League, even with all the money being in the Premier League right now. Real Madrid, I think, is one of those where you can still get those huge moves, right? And we've seen it before, loads of like Robin, for example, the great example of that. Like you can leave and, and have huge success at big clubs. If you go to Liverpool and fail, now I don't think he would in a you know, ever. But the safe bet, if you if you go to Liverpool and it doesn't work out, you're then so, for example, Naby Keita gone for big money. Everyone thinks he's, thinks he's going to be the next big thing. He's linked with going back to Dortmund then. And Bellingham then for his next move is in a, a trickier position where he's not going to be battling for those Champions Leagues, I don't think. And he's not going to be battling for those other kind of moves. So I think I do see him going to Real Madrid. 
him and it'd be him and Camavinga in the midfield, Cruz on his way out. That's pretty frightening. And I think I wonder if he enjoys the the spotlight, but not to the same extent of the Premier League. Jay, that is one thing that Jaden Sancho has really struggled with, hasn't he? Coming back to to the Premier League is that you are scrutinised so so much. And if he goes there, and he, he can win a couple of Champions Leagues, maybe I think I guess the thing he needs to think about as well is, I bet they're all talking as well. Where's Mbappe going? Like, is Mbappe going to Real Madrid? Can they buy both of them? You know, or is that going to be another year's time? So there's a lot of things to think about here. But it does feel like to me, I don't, I just can't see him going to Man City. I just can't see it. Can you? I think the thing with Man City is like, he's going to be on silly amounts of money, isn't he? So he's going to be on 250, 300,000 pounds a week. So if Manchester City throw in an extra, and this sounds absolutely crazy, what I might say, but if they throw another 100,000 pounds a week, for him, I don't think that's a tipping point. Like that's not going to change his opinion. I, we've just seen the evidence we've got so far is yes, money will have a big play in it, but it's not going to be the be all and end all of that. So that's not going to be the tipping point. Mm. So, like we said, if City don't win the Premier League or the Champions League, that's not going to be the driver. The only thing with Manchester City, you probably have got out of the three of those options, is the guarantee that Pep is going to be there the longest out of Ancelotti and Klopp as well. So that's maybe your only sort of security that he's going to, that, you know, you've got Pep, you know, you've got the ownership, you've got guaranteed money coming in. And whether it's not this year, they're going to keep reinvesting and they're always going to be there or thereabouts. With Liverpool, I mean, they're not even guaranteed to get Champions League football this season. So he's not going to want to leave Dortmund, who are guaranteed that, to go to Liverpool um, to, to make that move. And there is part of me that believes that the the decision is already made, whether that's in camp or if it's privately been agreed. So I, that's another reason why I just do think it's Real Madrid. And yeah, I, th- I think like you said with the Sancho stuff and it just happened so much over here. I was so delighted when he went to Dortmund because there is a little bit of me that loves like loves him so much that, you know... I, you don't want people spoiling him. Sounds like we're going out, but I don't want to see him hurt. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, people spoil it. As soon as you have a bad game over it, look at what we've just dissected at the start of this podcast. We, You know, with Haaland, Haaland's on for nearly, what, what's he on now, 26, 27 goals a season. He had two bad games. <laughs> yeah. Do Man City play better without Haaland? I mean, the, the guy's literally about to break all sorts of scoring records. And, and sometimes, I don't know if you have done a video on that, Jim. No, 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 um, but yeah, I just I just feel, let's, let's keep you in Spain winning all the trophies that you can and doing something a little bit differently that, that as an English fan, we've not seen in so long. I think we'll go to the Premier League. I really do. Like, I think if you're English, yeah. if you're English, you've got to play in the Premier League at some point. You have to. Like, and, and I think he'll need that. But what I think would be smart from his point of view is that he's possibly not the final piece, but one of the final pieces for Real Madrid. Whereas for Liverpool, I, I wouldn't say he's the first piece, but I think you've got some and Liverpool fans will hammer me for this, but I think you've got some sort of ageing pieces around him that are, are huge, huge losses. You know, the Van Dykes, the Salas, you know, at some stage, obviously going to kind of, kind of go away. The whole midfield's changing as well. There's a lot of changes there. Um, but time will tell, of course, as well. I do think he will go to the Premier League at some point, And I think it could be Liverpool down the road. I think he will want to scratch that itch. But I, I do think it will be Real Madrid uh, next up. In terms of international football, so I asked scouted football which is a fantastic, gorgeous magazine that just literally lets you know who the next big stars are. And I said, who, who is going to be the guy that's going to sort of battle up against him? And 
Warren Zaire Emery of PSG. Remember the name. I'll say it again. Warren <laughs> Zaire Emery is probably, this is the paragraph I got back from Scouting Football. It's probably the standout emerging talent in football right now. Fast-tracked into the stacked first team at PSG, is extremely advanced for his age, with a remarkably rounded skill set. Compact and mobile, he does basically everything to a high level. Sensible passing, Modric-like ball carrying, proactive defending, all with a cold-blooded mentality. He will reach the highest levels very quickly. Go check out Scout Scout Football uh, if you get a chance and you want to know about these different players. But I've just given you one there. So what I will... Here is one prediction. He will obviously captain England. I think he will be the next captain of England. I think they'll go with him young. (laughs) We'll love that. (laughs) We'll absolutely love that. I think he will. I think by Euro 2028, uh, at at the latest, I think he's England's captain. Because I think you build it around him and I think he's obviously got the leadership qualities as well. Will he play a major final against Warren Zayemery? I could There will be a game of football where the whole build-up will be Messi versus Ronaldo-esque and it will be Warren Zayemery up against Jude Bellingham in a midfield battle. So he is a very similar player to Jude Bellingham. So that is a name to keep an eye on. And I guess in terms of the, the battles down the road when it comes to Ballon d'Ors... This is a you know this is a player that's a PSG player as well coming through a pretty star-studded uh, um, academy now at PSG. So keep an eye on him. In terms of international tournaments and what Modric did, he got them to a final, and often the Ballon d'Or comes with you know international recognition, doesn't it as well? With all those tournaments, the domination of the Premier League, surely will surely it's coming home, is it not? Will Jude Bellingham lift a, lift a Euros or a World Cup with us? I think he will drag us somewhere at some point. Well, I, I think he'll be captain when it comes around to the next Euros. I genuinely do believe that because you just have to look at the sort of trajectory that wow. he's done so far. We, we were going into the Euros in 20... When obviously COVID happened, so going into the actual Euros 2020, he was nowhere near the squad. Move on a year, Euro 2020, he was in the squad and sort of... I don't think people had him down... Some some people like him, like like me, had him down to be starting, but I'd have him down to start any eleven, even if he had one leg. So that that's more about me. But he was in that England setup, and he was getting involved with the games. And then we go forward another year. He's a prominent player. Some people saying should he start? And by the end of the World Cup, he's probably in top three of England's players. I think definitely performance based on that World Cup. So then you flash forward to what year are we in now? Twenty twenty three. Goodness me, doesn't time fly when you get a little bit older? Um, I just think by, when he makes the move this summer to one of those teams that we've spoke about, he's going to be on such an elite level that, you know, when we get to the business end of the season in 2024 and say he's playing at Real Madrid in the Champions League final and, and you're going against Harry Kane as a captain, to, which to some, and me now, is a bit of a, you know, really? Is Harry Kane a leader? Is he? So I, th- I just think that that move will be made for the 2024 Euros and sort of maybe Southgate's last legacy to say, you know, here you are, son. Here's the armband. Go out and win it for me. And and then we do it and we go forth. And maybe we just win everything. Everything. (laughs) Just, we don't stop winning. We just win it all. Six, seven. We just don't stop winning. Maybe 
50 years of her and then maybe it just fully flips on its head with Jude Bellingham as captain and we just <laughs> we just don't stop winning. I think what the ripple of... get a bit blasé about it. Like, are we going to the ripple effect of his international career is that certain things will will guaranteed are guaranteed to occur. First of all, he will have a David Beckham against Greece game where we are terrible, and he goes because I think he's one of the few players that can do still do it at this uh, in this day of an age of football. And maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully, I am. But he will drag us somewhere in one game. He will also. And a bit of a ripple effect of Harry Kane's missed penalty in the Qatar World Cup. At some stage, Harry Kane will be doing punditry. Jude Bellingham will be the scapegoat because he'll be putting himself in these kind of positions. And Harry Kane will say the line of, I've been there. And it's, he'll be hurting right now. That will occur. That is a ripple effect. That is already in motion. And you'll see that soon enough. In terms of casualties uh, for international uh, football for England, there are players that could be what I'd like to call the Jermaine genus of this piece. I think... Connor Gallagher could get hurt in terms of like his opportunities. It'd be interesting to see about Harvey Elliott. If he goes to Liverpool, maybe that could help Harvey Elliott's uh, case and could hurt someone like Mason Mount. If he plays as a more advanced player, Bellingham likes of Mason Mount. Madison is 26, Grealish 27. I think when you've got the longevity of Bellingham, you're going to play him. But if he's box to box, as I said, Conor Gallagher is going to be more likely to be that guy. It's going to be interesting to see that sort of partnership with Declan Rice over the next 10 years, quite possibly. Uh, and but the international stage, I I think with this, it, with the dominance, as I say, of of the Premier League, there's no Bellingham has to win, has to doesn't he? Has to win something during his time. Let's get to the end of his career now, because we're stopping at 34. We're just doing 15 years because it's a nice nice round uh, number. Jude's going to make a lot of money. And when we look at Luka Modric, who's kind of been our, our guy that we've kind of stuck by, when you get to the sort of 35, 36 age, and hopefully everything's still working well, be interesting to see if he starts to sort of drop a little bit deeper, maybe starts to play a bit more of a defensive midfield role, a bit like Gerard himself, or if he stays down the Modric road. But Modric's at 37, he's made a total of 34 appearances this season across all competitions, which is ridiculous. When he gets to sort of 34, where is he, Will? Where is he? I mean... I was just weighing up because I sort of knew where you were going. Like, if that is Birmingham City, now is that good? Now, he's very level-headed. He's got a great setup around him. So, if he is at Birmingham City, hopefully it's for the right reasons. Hopefully it's not like a a charity game for the dissolved club of 2025. Remember that Birmingham City team until they went bust? Uh, And he's just sort of raising funds for charity. So, hopefully hopefully it's for the right reasons. Hopefully it's not for some sort of, you know charity angle because we need money to raise like hopefully it's in the Premier League I mean when's that so that's 10-15 years time if it's just, if we have the same 10 year 15 time as we just had of not finishing top half in the championship he definitely won't be back but I'd like to see him back in Birmingham City captain us to maybe a little cheeky Europa League Ooh. down the line let, let, dare to dream that's as big as my ambitions can get um, and then you know is he a coach? Is he a manager? We, he speaks so well. I text you a bit flippantly saying he's got future prime minister capabilities about him. I mean, he's got my trust. I <laughs> uh, speak so well. Uh, would he want to do that? He loves football. I, the world for that man is genuinely like, he could do anything. I gen, like sport wise, politically, what he could do 
anything because he's so great and I <laughs> bloody love him. He's choking up. So I think, well, when it comes to Prime Minister, stay away from the Premier League then because I think if you if you start playing for the Man United, Liverpool, one of these guys, then you sort of you you sort of shun off a yeah. lot of voters there. You spoke about uh, going back to Birmingham City. Here is get ready. Here is the ripple effect that's going to blow your mind. And if this comes to be, it's going to be unbelievable. <laughs> Could he become the first player owner of Birmingham City or slash any football league club? Because the money is there to be made. Look at LeBron James and the money that he's got. He's able to get a hold of Liverpool and have a percentage stake in that club. Birmingham City is apparently uh, worth $100 million, according to The Athletic. Over the next 10 years, you will be gently, <laughs> the athletic told me, and he will be, <laughs> he's going to be sort of just gently, you know, popping that money in the piggy bank, picking up Ballon d'Ors, because again, he is 19. Now, he's got some big decisions to make. Not only the next transfer move and of course the rest of his career, but also imagine if this happened. Now, this would be one hell of a ripple effect, okay? <laughs> Jude Bellingham meets meets a lovely lady. Now Foden's had kids. Mm-hmm. Sterling's had kids as a youngster, and, and, and someone we haven't spoken about is Job, of course, who's uh, Jude Bellingham's brother, who's apparently pretty good as well. So Jude goes off, meets a lovely lady, looks to settle down early. Footballers like to do that. They um they conceive. Okay, they have two twins, Jim and Jeff. Jim and Jeff, right? Twenty-year-old Jude Bellingham, or twenty-one, has Jim and Jeff. Fast forward, we're going to go past fifteen years. He goes, "I want to go home. I want to Nicky Barnby this. I want to get the gang back together." And he becomes the first player owner of Birmingham City. And he he makes the call. He says, Job, yep, I know you're a little bit younger and you've got more years in the tank, but we've got the chance to do something special here because there are two academy products in that Birmingham City Academy right now who are pretty special. Do you know what the names are, Job? I don't, Job says. He says, Jude says, I'll tell you, Jim and Jeff, we could become the first midfield within a family. You've got Jim, you've got Jim doing the work, the legs of him, you've got... Job, I think, is a bit more of a winger, isn't he? So you can stay out wide and pull the strings there. Jeff on the other side. And you have a midfield four of Jim, <laughs> Jeff, Job and Jude as the player owner and captain. Jude Bellingham takes Birmingham City to the Europa League, as you just said, because he's got the years in the tank. He's looked after his body. He's been very fortunate. And again, like LeBron James, he spent millions on himself year in, year out, investing in himself and his future. I really like that, Jim. Um, I think that shows, you know, you're you're in a great headspace at the moment. You're really creative and you're really ambitious. And in my head, I was just thinking, could I get Jude, Troy Deeney, Trevor Francis and maybe Jasper Carrot together to sort of pay £30 million to buy the club? So um, I love that. You know, if we could have the Bellingham's, Sort of, you know, Peaky Blinders S, but in a positive manager, positive manner, less of the violence, mm. uh, taking over Birmingham City. Um, I mean, that would just be absolutely wonderful. So you've you've made me dare to dream, and that's the worst thing you can do to a man. So, so thank you, but oh, bloody hell. Yeah, 
I, it's what I think we just the one thing we hope, and we we all touch wood wherever we are that he is has a happy, healthy life. Because I, I'm not trying to put any pressure on the guy, but I think international competitions, yes, please check Ballon d'Ors, yes, please check Champions League. Yep, it's all there in front of you, Jude. But you've got big decisions to make, and just remember to um, I don't know a bit of hospitality. I actually, went down to Birmingham for hospitality QPR away, and um, and it was it was really tasty. So if this if this has been planted in your head and does come to fruition, just just throw that my way. It'd be lovely. Right, Will, it's been a joy. I've come in in a good mood. I'm leaving with a great mood, and I'm leaving with dreams, optimism, and you know the world is at my feet. Even though we've got I think nine defeats in the last twelve, staring at the bottom of the table for the tenth year in a row. Don't know if the owners are going to be coming back. Uh, if we have got owners who owns the club, don't know. EFL, maybe can you have a look at that? I don't know. Uh, but let's just hope there's a club to come back to. Indeed. Just hang in there another 15 years. The cavalry's coming. Guys, if you've enjoyed the <sighs> podcast, please do consider following, giving us a five star rating. Go check out the Barcelona PSG podcast, La Remontada. Uh, it's the night that changed European football forever. And, of course, um, get yourself ready for that Everton podcast and loads of podcasts in the future because we're here to stay. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.